0: So, um, I'm really delighted to be here with you. We are in this series called show me. Don't tell me, show me, don't post something, show me. It's a series looking at individuals. Doesn't that feel better? It's like, Oh my goodness. I come back and I see, look at these beautiful people out here. I'm just going to do that once in a while. Make some, make a few bodily movements of acknowledgement. But it's a series looking at these unsung folks in the New Testament, folks you don't hear a lot about. They don't have a high subscrip- subscription to their vlogs. They don't get a lot of airtime and headlines. But these are important folks. And I'm going to preach just to the Hirschbergers, by the way, the whole ser- the whole sermon. Y'all can listen in now. <laughs> you know, I love you too so much. All right. And this week, we are going to be looking at something really, I think, a a letter that's really interesting, and we're going to look at two folks and then a group of folks. Two folks and a group of folks. Two folks and a group of folks. Um, okay, I am, as many of you may know, I'm a professor full time. That's my gig. That's how I pay the bills, put shoes on the baby's feet. I'm trying to think of more metaphors and sayings that involve making money. But um, and I teach... Uh, Bible, and I teach history, and I teach biblical interpretation to students, and one of the things I'm always saying to them, kind of like on repeat, they call me Dr. P, because my last name is horrifically mispronounced. Those of you who know it, know what I'm, it's pedophiles. It's French, and it's, yes, so Dr. P works. So one thing they will hear from Dr. P again and again and again is this, let the text speak to you, Let the text rearrange the furniture in your life, your heart, your world. Don't try to rearrange the furniture of the text. Okay, this is a posture. Yeah, see, it's, it's, a, it's simple. How simple is that? But how many of you have been in a conversation with your, a good friend or, or a spouse, and you're kind of talking over? Like that's, that's how I roll. I'm always talking, like my wife's saying something, she's thinking, and I'm like trying to finish sentences. Like we finish each other's sandwiches, right? (laughs) Like constantly doing that. I don't mean to. It's because I'm hyperactive. My legs are always moving. My mind is in a million places at once and nowhere at the same time. And so I'm always speaking over, and it's a problem I have to rein in. Those of you who know me, I know this is a shock to you, but I'm confessing it here now. And so we do that to Scripture. We We open it up often, and whether we know we're doing it or not, we just sort of... Try to make it sing the song of what feels comfortable in our cultural moment, in our life situation, or in our particular preferences, right? So we kind of try to bend it to our will, and so the encouragement to let the text speak can be really important depending on the situation. I think it's always important, but some things are way more high stakes than others. And today, we're going to be looking, I've entitled this sermon, I've given it a title, I've named it, I've dubbed it. I call it Philemon and the Dangerous Jesus Love Letter. Ooh, ooh, what is this? Philemon and the Dangerous Jesus Love Letter. A lot could happen with just that. I'll let you ponder that for a moment. Okay, so that's the sermon title. And we're actually going to be looking at a letter, and we're going to experience it while watching two important figures and becoming one group. Okay, we're going to watch Philemon carefully. We're going to watch Onesimus carefully. Right now, those names may mean a lot to you. They may mean nothing to you. I'll set it up. And then we're just going to experience it. So this is a message a lot different than stuff I've done before. It's a little bit weird. But I think I say that every time I preach. So you're probably used to it. So that's what we're doing. That's what I want to do today. And while we... The question I want beating in your mind, heart, head, life, the pond of your imagination. Here's the question I want to circulate in those waters. It's this. What happens when the transforming power of a Jesus-shaped love collides with your reality? What happens when the transforming power of a Jesus-shaped love collides with your reality? What happens when it collides with your daily protocols? Your daily stuff you do all the time. What happens when it collides with your career? What happens when a Jesus-shaped love collides with your love life? Hmm, interesting, interesting. What happens when a Jesus-shaped love collides with the chance encounters you have at Trader Joe's? What happens when a Jesus-shaped love collides with something that has always been taken for granted, the way things are, that's how we've always done it, that's how we'll always do it, whether that's in your life, your family, or in even a culture? What happens? Gary and Heather really want to know. They are like so ready. My favorite thing about you two is this. You lean in. So I would like you all to watch them as we give this sermon, because that's how you all should be acting during a sermon, okay? No, I just love you too. So I, wanna, I want us to experience this letter, but first I want to set it up, and then we're going to experience it, okay? So let's set it up. Before we do anything else, I, I call it Philemon and the Dangerous Jesus Love Letter. Because it's actually the shortest letter that survives in Paul's library that we have of this guy, Paul of Tarsus. It's the shortest one. You could read it in three minutes. It's very beautifully short. And so I'm going to preach a 45-minute message on a three-minute. Now, that's, that's interesting. When you read a commentary that's like 700 words and you're like, how are we doing this? But it's a very short letter, but it's a very dangerous one. It's actually one of the most sensitive explosive and dramatic letters, and I know preachers say that a lot about whatever they're preaching. Like, this is the best one today, and next week, it's the best one next week. No, this is truly one of the most explosive letters, because it's a moment where Paul of Tarsus is introducing a Jesus-shaped love into a taken-for-granted institution. He's introducing it into something that was like, tradition, tradition. Anyone? Anyone? Fiddler on the roof. Come on, some people get it. So he's actually inter- he's colliding Jesus' love with an institution that for most of human history was just the way things are. Part of reality. Indeed, in the Roman Mediterranean, a good thing in the eyes of many in the culture. Okay? He introduces Jesus-shaped love to it. And he does it. I want you to see where he does it. He doesn't do it on a platform in the middle of the Forum of Colossae. He doesn't do it on a sort of stoic philosopher's uh, convivium, where they're sitting together having their wine and discussing ideas. He doesn't do it through writing graffiti, on, which is a bunch of ancient graffiti. Horrific stuff, by the way. I had to translate some at UCLA for my Latin final, and it was like, Jesus, forgive me, but I have to translate this to get an A. That's a weird thing I just mentioned. So he doesn't do it there. Where does he do it? He does it in the... In the family context and not just the biological family or legal family of the Roman household. He does it in the the newly formed Christ confessing community family. He does it in the sibling, the society of surrogate siblings we call the church. All right so let me set up a couple things and then we're gonna experience it and it's it's I'll just do that. First a very quick word because this letter deals with in particular Uh, Slavery in the Roman Mediterranean. It is one of the most sensitive topics you could possibly be talking about to a Roman elite. It would be like me saying to you, let me talk about some of the most personal things in your life and let me do it in front of everyone. So the letter we're going to see, and if you want to open up to it, you can, but you can also experience it the way the first hearers of it experienced it, listening to it in the context of community. But it starts off with Paul writing, it says, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and, ooh, this is a big and, big coordinating conjunction coming here. That was for you, Kathleen. English professor, big coordinating, and the church that meets in your home. So imagine me saying, Mark Woodruff, I have a a letter I want to read to you. There's some things I need to say to you, but I'm going to do it in front of everyone right now. We all know Mark. He's the chair of our council of leaders. He's an amazing guy. We know things about him. We, 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 We love him, and I'm about to read a letter that's deeply personal very sensitive, and it's gonna be a very public event. So this is the context of the reading. It's not a secret email that I'm, you know, maybe blind blind CCing a couple people in a passive-aggressive way, right? Blind CC. (laughs) Hey, Mark, what's going on? Blind CC, Chris. Like, that's not what this is. This is full on, we're doing this, people. We're wading into this territory, and and it may be painful and awkward, but we're doing it. So I'm going to read that letter to you now. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't have one. But you can imagine the moment. And, and by the way, ancient audiences weren't exactly like passive and polite like we all are. We're so good, right? Good little boys and girls sitting in our chairs, laughing, nodding happily. That's why preaching to junior hires is the best. Because if they're out of the sermon, they're over it. They're like, they're under their chair, they're like making a gum collage on the, their neighbor's chair. They are not paying attention. But adults, we've learned how to be good, quiet listeners. Well, ancient audiences were a lot more raucous than that. They were a little more interactive than that. A little oohs and ahs and oh, and mumbles and questions. This is how, from the evidence we know, ancient audiences rolled. Okay. See what I'm talking about? You get it. You get it. Mostly, I need to hear that more often in life. Can you just like randomly just say that? So this is the context of the letter delivery, and the topic is what. Here's what's happening. Philemon has been with Paul, Paul of Tarsus. He is a he, he's a Jesus follower, loves him some Jesus, but he's all he's an elite dude. The church meets at his house, okay? And there was not a lot of space. If you didn't have a lot of money, you didn't have a lot of space or privacy. If you had a lot of money, you had some space and privacy. So in Colossae churches, meeting in his villa. It's kind of a big deal. He's a cool guy. He's really into the gospel with Paul. He's really into talking about the good news of Jesus of Nazareth. But like so many elites, he owned slaves. He was a slave owner. And one of his slaves, a guy named Onesimus, his name means handy. Literally, it means like a handy guy He's handy. Paul makes kind of a little play on words in the letter on that. This guy Onesimus, not a follower of Jesus, Did something. We don't know what he did, but he did something. And either maybe he stole something, maybe he broke something, maybe he said something uh, subversive or rude or whatever it was. And he thought, this is really, really dangerous. I'm in a dangerous situation. I need to get out of here. And he flees. So he's run away and he finds Paul. Paul is in a Roman prison in chains. Roman prisons are holding tanks for judgment. There was no like prison system. It was either you. You get fined, you get exiled, you go to the mines to work till you die, or you're given a death of animals, cross, fire. All three aren't very nice, by the way, really uncomfortable. Okay, So this is the Roman prison system, and Paul's there, chained up. Onesimus knows where he is, finds him, and says, Paul, I need you to help me out. I, I know you know my master, and I've run from him. And we don't know what he did or what happened, but there's a conversation there. In the process, Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. And Paul immediately puts him on his A-team. So it's not like, oh, you're a slave, so we'll put you on kind of a, you know, freshman team. You could do a little odds and ends, and then maybe we'll elevate you. Immediately, Onesimus is part of his network, ministering. He's mentioned in the letter to the Colossians. Really big deal but a really delicate moment that most of us who are like, don't like confrontation would be putting off again and again and again. It's the moment of saying, at some point, we're gonna have to have this conversation with Philemon and with you, and I'll be a part of it, but we're going all in on this. Okay, so this is the context, a lot of stakes. A few words about Roman slavery, I'm gonna do some history geek out for a minute, minute and a half, time me. So about 20 to 25% of the population of the Roman Mediterranean were indeed slaves. Slavery is one of the oldest and um, unquestioned institutions in ancient, medieval, and even a lot of modern history, sadly. It was just human beings owning other human beings and seeing them, in the way the Romans talked about it, literally as tools that could think and talk and walk. Okay, so this is, this is 20 to 25% of the population. We forget, but when you're in Rome and you look at the Colosseum and you look at the forum and you're amazed at the aqueduct systems and the roads and just the, the impressive construction that was built on the backs of slaves. And it's, it's kind of sobering when you stop and take that socio-historical moment in and go, wow, right, this is gnarly. Yeah, th- but, but it was unquestioned. Indeed, not just unquestioned, but the Roman household. The, like, think about the Roman family as like Lego blocks. This is how imperial ideology worked. Everyone's a little Lego block, okay? And that Lego block is like the father, the paterfamilias, the father of the family, his children, his slaves, and, his, and the women that are part of his household. And that's the most important nugget of society. And if you mess with that, you're messing with the entire empire. It's like a microcosm of empire. You mess with this, you mess with all of it. So it's a dangerous thing to walk around with interesting ideas about slavery. Right? It's a very dangerous thing. And so this is the context, yet all of a sudden you have this new baby church that's following a, a deity, and I'm thinking, thinking, thinking about it from a Roman perspective, following a deity, monotheistic deity, who came to earth, dwelt as a human being... That's weird enough. Then was crucified by the Romans, by the way. That's not comfortable in a Roman context. On a, on a cro- died on a cross, which is, by and large, a death reserved for slaves. Slaves and insurrectionists. This is what normally would happen. And so this group is worshiping this deity. And this deity, that wasn't the end of the story. There was this resurrection, not resuscitation, full-on resurrection to newness of life. And people are captivated by this message. They're captivated by this Jesus. The Holy Spirit of this God is working in powerful ways. And now this little community in Colossae, suddenly a Jesus-shaped love is knocking at the doors of an age-old institution. And it, it is so dramatic. Okay? What's Paul going to do? How is he going to set this up? So we're going to actually experience it today. I want us to actually experience experience it today okay so i am going to um gary i've been picking on you a lot i'm gonna need you to stand on up over here gary hershberger you don't have to do anything but stand i promise you just got to stand gary come on gary gary Hirschberger, come on come on over here come on up here you're gonna stand right by me if you don't mind if you don't mind and chris i'm gonna need you to um, <laughs> help me with something chris would you come up here and i need i have 12 tambourines 12 tambourines I bought them on on Amazon on Wednesday, and they got here on Friday. So I need you just to make sure. I need 12 tambouriners out there. You just got to hold the tambourine and do what I say. And make sure a couple people outside, if there's anyone out there. I think I've yeah, got a few people outside. Tam- when are you all getting a tambourine? You want a tambourine? Okay, tambourine on the outside there. Make sure that we, we spread out. Okay, good. And let's see. Where's, where's Francois? Francois, come on. Francois, would you come up here? I know you love being embarrassed and just... You know, being the center of attention. But would you come up here, Francois, and stand right next to me here. Perfect. Okay. Um, I'm going to plug in my soundtrack. Because I I really mean this, and I've never done this before, but we're trying it today. I want us to experience this moment. I want us to experience this letter. And I put music to it, of course. So here here we are. We're in this first century context, in maybe a little big villa room, in Philemon's villa. So you're Philemon. We know you. We respect you. You're in a kind of a big deal in the society, not to mention in the church, right? We know that without you, we don't even have a place to meet, okay? You love Jesus. You're figuring out what this new world, through the eyes of Jesus' love, actually looks like. So you're also figuring things out. We have Nissimus. You may not have seen him for months, if not longer. This may be the first moment you're actually seeing him. And it's in the context of me, a letter deliverer, maybe Timothy, maybe another one of Paul's network, who's bringing a letter that Paul has coached me on. This is not like I wrote something up on a sticky note. Improvise. This is like, he's walked me through, here's exactly how you need to make sure this is said, this is said, and this is said. If this question comes up, you answer it this way. And I know this is a high stakes deal, really high stakes. Okay, first time you're seeing each other, and you are all here. Because remember, this letter is not a secret note to Philemon, hey Philemon, this is gonna be awkward. I need you to do me a solid, okay, and make it your idea. Rather, this is a. I want. we're all in this conversation. And so if you're new tonight, He might say, you're in for an interesting conversation. We're going to read a letter. And the letters were heard. And y'all were in the moment. So my question is, what is the main ingredient that Paul is going to inject into the conversation to bring the outcome he believes is what God would have us do for Onesimus and for Philemon and for this entire church? And everything's on the line. All right, if you have a tambourine... If you have a tambourine, here's your job. You're going to have to really focus. Okay, really focus. If I say the word love, you shake it. (laughs) So good. I love this building. That was a test. Okay, a little little late, but we got there. We got there. Good. (laughs) All right, if I say the word beloved, you shake it. These are all the same semantic universe as love. If I say the word heart, you shake it. Heart, right? This Greek term, splagna. It literally means guts. Splagna is a fun one. Name a pet, splagna. It means heart. It means means my innermost affections. Okay? All right. So this will help us sort of enter into the letter. And I'm going to read it now. And I might gesture to you a little bit. I'm going to gesture you, Philemon. Let's use our historical imaginations for a moment. I'm going to hit some music. And here we go. Here's the letter. Cue the tunes. Mm. Mm that it wasn't two elite dudes talking to each other. It was a whole community. And the space in which this community and this conversation is taking place is so profound. And so I am not going to add, like, an acrostic and, like, five points to better your life. I just want to ask you that question again. What happens when Jesus-shaped love collides with your life and world? What happens when it collides with things you've always taken for granted. That's just how it is. That's how my family always did it. It's just business. Well, that's the way we do it here. Those kinds of things. When all of a sudden Jesus' love comes knocking at the door of things we think are normal and asks us to reconceptualize and reconsider, it can be dramatic. It can be beautiful. It can be creative. What if, as Denise said last week, When she gave that awesome sermon, if you haven't heard it, watch it, it's rad, she's the best. But when that giant Puma, super Puma helicopter landed in PV last week, right? And just like raised a ruckus and everyone came out to see it and it was amazing. And she said, what if the River Church made noise like that with grace? We were not, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. (laughs) Shake those tambourines. What if the River Church was this pulsating space of grace within the family first? This isn't a post and forward on your Instagram story. This isn't a make it happen over your debate about masks or no masks. This isn't a conversation that we lobby our congresspeople to get Jesus into the schools. No, what if it started here and true grace collided with all of our our lives as individuals and then as the constellation of the River Church and the families and neighborhoods we represent? What if it started? Because if you look at this letter, that's where Paul insisted the conversation start, and not just the conversation, but the action start. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to read to you one last, one last quote, and I had you have music for it, Godwin, um, that I'm going to read to. But it's, it's one of my favorite theologians, one of my favorite political actors, one of my favorite. Leaders in modern history. And I want to read to you a sermon, a piece of a sermon that he gave. All right. Now, let me hasten to say that Jesus was serious when he gave the command.
1: I don't know if we can match that epic music. (laughs) lord we thank you that you have taught us love and grace we've received it from you so that we may in turn give it to others and the right now we do quiet our hearts before you we ask that you would speak to us that you would show us your heart for us and others My fears really How precious did that grace appear! The hour I first believed, my chains are. My God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Sing, the Lord has promised good to me. word my hope you he will my shield and portion be as long as life endures my chains are to sing this together before I spoke. This one more time. Your never ending love. And so I pray for each and every one of us, any places in our hearts that can't feel your goodness and your love. Lord, I ask that you would come. We give you honor this morning. We thank you for who you are. We pray that you would be with us through the week, Lord, and that you would as a tambourine you should play it right now this is how we end our service there you go <laughs> amen great message james so good thanks for worshiping y'all have a great week I'll see you next sunday